Hello, everyone. This is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. Vlad Dracula III, Vlad Dracul, Vlad the Impaler. No matter what you call him or whatever name you know him as, the legend of Vlad the Impaler, the original Dracula, has survived a millennia. But what fascinates us the most about the Dracula legend? Is it the fact that he was the inspiration for the most well-known vampire in cinematic and literary history? Or is it the fact that he was a real person whose bloody deeds on and off the battlefield made him a legend even in his own time? The truth is that much of what is known about Vlad Dracula is a mixture of facts and legend. And although the truth can't be easily discerned, after all these years, that doesn't seem to matter. What we do know is that Vlad III's story begins sometime between 1428 and 1431, when he is born in Sigisoara, Transylvania, now modern-day Romania, to Vlad Dracul II, a nobleman of the House of Basarab, and his mother, Eoproxia of Moldavia. He had two brothers, the elder Mircea and the younger Radu. Having been born into a prestigious and well-known family, Vlad became acquainted with war and its many symptoms from an early age. Vlad's father was given the name Dracula, meaning son of Dracul, or son of the dragon, after he was inducted into the Order of the Dragon, an organization created by the Holy Roman Emperor Sigismund for the defense of Christian Europe against the Muslim Ottoman Empire. In 1436, when his father became the Voivode, a title which could either be interpreted as prince or military governor of Wallachia, Vlad and his two brothers moved to Targoviste, Wallachia, to be by his side. It was the hope of Vlad II to teach his sons the ways of government and war, so that they might one day rule after his passing. However, Whatever Vlad III were to learn in the upcoming years was not taught to him by his father, but by his captors. In 1442, during extreme times of turmoil in Wallachia, Vlad II was called to a diplomatic meeting by the Ottoman ruler Mehmed II. Wanting to teach his sons about diplomacy, Vlad brought along Vlad III and his youngest son Radu. But the meeting was a trap. Mehmed II was unhappy with Vlad II's criticism of the Ottoman Empire and subsequently kidnapped Vlad III and Radu upon their arrival to the castle. Mehmed informed the ruler that he would keep his sons as a part of his royal court in exchange for his support on enacting certain Ottoman policies. Unwilling to risk his own life or the life of his sons, Vlad II agreed and left his sons in the care of the Ottoman ruler while he retreated back to Wallachia. Oddly enough, Vlad II and Radu were given exhaustive lessons in science, philosophy, and the politics and physicality of war while under the care of the Ottomans. But although they received such treatments, the boys were still prisoners and were reportedly subjected to various forms of punishment and torture. 
1447, a violent campaign led by Wallachian nobles to overthrow Vlad III was underway. And by the end of the year, both the ruler and his eldest son, Mircea, were dead. Reports made their way back to Vlad that his father had been taken to the swamp behind their home and shot dead. His body was left to rot in the very swamp. His brother Mircea had been tortured, blinded, and then buried alive. His final resting place never revealed. In the beginning of 1448, Vlad II organized his release from the Ottomans and immediately began a crusade to regain his father's seat as ruler. Wallachia was being ruled by Vladislav II, Vlad's second cousin, who had an immense amount of political support from both the Wallachian nobility and the Ottoman Empire. While Vlad II, who had taken up his father's moniker of Vlad Dracula, did gain power in 1448, he was deposed only after two months of power. After that embarrassing coup, Vlad Dracula spent the next eight years struggling to gain power and keep it. It was during those eight years that Vlad Dracula committed most of his atrocities. Historians believe that his family's horrific murders were what turned Vlad into a bloodthirsty killer. Others believe that years of Ottoman capture had a direct influence on his evil. He was subjected to various forms of torture and witnessed others being tortured as well. He was present when prisoners of war were taken to the dungeons or made examples of in front of the royal court. He was even there when people were being burned at the stake, whipped, beaten, and impaled. All of this had a lasting effect on his then young mind, and without even knowing, the Ottomans created what would become their most formidable enemy. Between 1448 and 1456, Vlad Dracula impaled upwards of 20,000 people, while the total number of dead by his hand or on his command amounted to 60,000. When neighboring forces would come about the thousands of dead bodies that Vlad Dracula would leave in his wake, they would send word to others that this man was the son of the devil, for only the devil could commit such horrific evils. Rumors began to spread of his cannibalistic tendencies as well, as he was supposedly often seen dipping his dinner bread in the blood of his victims. While those are rumors, he would often dine surrounded by the bodies of the dead, ordering his men to set up his dinner table in the middle of the battlefield with the impaled bodies and his bodyguards the only ones to keep him company as he ate. In 1456, when Vlad Dracula officially took power again, many thought that his cruelty would end. Such acts were reserved for the fields of war and had no place in civilized society. But the cruelty never ended. Soon after he took power, word got to him that many of the nobles of the land still considered Vladislav II to be a better and fairer ruler. Vlad Dracula became obsessed with asserting his dominance. He was paranoid and believed that nothing other than fear would stop another coup from occurring. 
he was going to do anything to keep his throne. One of the things he did was host a peace banquet and invite his opposition. The men were told that Vlad Dracula was willing to hear them out on any concerns that they might have about his leadership. The dinner was the first in many steps to create a united Wallachia. Vlad Dracula let his guests get comfortable and in the middle of their feast, ordered his guest to be put to death. Guards quickly came over and stabbed the men multiple times before taking their still twitching bodies to the courtyard of the castle where they were impaled on metal spikes and put on display for everyone to see. They would serve as a reminder to anyone who would so much as dare to question his rule. While rumors of being the devil's son were common for Vlad Dracula, Dracul even translated to the devil in Romanian, he was a zealous Christian. He was openly supported by Christian Europe as a defender against the Muslim Ottomans. It was reported that during a diplomatic meeting between himself and some Ottoman nobles, Vlad Dracula had the turbans of the Ottomans nailed to their skulls after they declined to remove them for religious reasons. When word of the incident got back to Pope Pius II, he sent word of his admiration for Vlad Dracula for having such staunch faith. But not everyone shared the Pope's sentiments. Mehmed II, having been no stranger to the evils of war, was constantly left horrified by Vlad's actions. After a particularly bloody battle in 1462, Mehmed came upon an open field which was decorated with upwards of 23,000 of his own dead men. Decaying corpses impaled onto wooden and iron spikes spanned the length of 60 miles around the capital Atargo Viste. Although they were in the middle of an invasion, Mehmed ordered the retreat of his soldiers. So did Dracula do the things that he did for the sake of power? During times of war, it was impossible to estimate what any of these rulers would have done to ensure their victory. Or did Vlad Dracula just truly enjoy torturing people? It seems as though he relished in his own brutality, often writing letters to his compatriots, bragging about his conquests and latest kills. In one letter to an ally, he wrote, I have killed peasants, men and women, old and young, who lived in Ubiklitsa and Novoleso, where the Danube flows into the sea. We killed 23,884 Turks, without counting those whom we burned in their homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, Your Highness, I am pleased to say, I have broken the peace. Vlad was murdering and impaling anyone who got in his way, paying little attention to who was a soldier or a commoner or a child. His soldiers were roaming around unchallenged, killing at will, and Vlad was doing the same. 
Vlad Dracula quickly became known as Vlad the Impaler. Impalement was his most notorious method of torture. It was his calling card. A wooden or metal pole would be jammed through the bottom of the victim, where it would slowly pierce through the body until it came out through the neck, shoulders, or mouth. Vlad often ordered his soldiers to use rounded poles so that the instrument wouldn't pierce any of the internal organs, thus prolonging the torture. In instances like this, it would take hours or even days for the victim to die. Bodies would be left on public display, numbering in the hundreds of thousands as a deterrent to pursuing Ottoman forces or any other persons who would dare to double-cross him. It was said that even Saxon merchants were impaled in Kronstadt. Although this territory did not pose any threat to him, the merchants in question were allied with the nobles who had killed his family. After more than a decade, Vlad the Impaler finally got justice for his father and brother's murder. Other forms of torture that he enjoyed were reportedly the boiling and skinning of victims. Vlad the Impaler's reign of torture would eventually come to an end though. In 1462, Ottoman forces launched a campaign to replace him with his more mild-mannered brother Radu, who had never left the Ottomans after his years in captivity. He had spent his life living as an ally and son. Vlad decided to go to Hungary to garner the help of Hungarian King Matthias I, but King Matthias had no intention of helping him. Not wanting to risk war with the Ottomans, he took Vlad as a political prisoner of war and kept him for more than 10 years. Not much is known about Vlad during his time in prison, other than that sometime in 1476, he was released and married a relative of King Matthias Corvinus. By this time, Radu had taken power and was being backed by the Ottoman Empire. King Matthias promised Vlad that he would help remove Radu and establish him back into power. But that time never came. During a battle in 1476, Vlad Dracula, the infamous impaler of Wallachia, was killed. While in the midst of the battlefield, he was beheaded. His head was then paraded back to Constantinople in a metal spike, which was then given directly to Mehmed II, who displayed it over the city's gates. Although he was infamous for the pain and torture he committed upon thousands of his enemies, Vlad Dracula was openly mourned upon his death. He was considered a hero in Wallachia for his efforts against Ottoman encroachment. A bust of his likeness currently resides in Bucharest, Romania, where he supposedly took his last breath. So how do we get from Vlad the Impaler to Bram Stoker's Dracula? For all intents and purposes, it seems as though the only thing that Stoker's Dracula and Vlad the Impaler have in common is the Dracula name. The Irish novelist actually drew more inspiration from Hungarian serial killer Elizabeth Bathory than from Vlad Dracula. During the arrest of Elizabeth Bathory, 
Many surviving victims reported the Countess drinking the victim's blood in place of wine on multiple occasions. And while there is one surviving story of Vlad dipping his dinner bread into a glass of blood, it seems as though those reports are more rumored than anything else. They were stories created in an attempt to create a vision of a man who was not to be trifled with. But these stories were unnecessary. The thousands of impaled bodies that Vlad Dracula used as decorations for his castle grounds were enough to show people that he was a man capable of innumerable atrocities. Bram Stoker's Dracula also resides in Transylvania in the popular novel, while Vlad the Impaler never lived there. He was born and ruled over the region of Wallachia, which was one of three principalities that made up of Romania, including Transylvania and Moldova. Braun Castle, the castle in Transylvania that has been dubbed Dracula's castle, isn't even his castle. Bran Castle was built overlooking a heavily trafficked mountain pass between Transylvania and Wallachia, which just so happened to be the land that Dracula ruled over in the 15th century. He traveled to Bran Castle on multiple occasions, but there is no record of him ever actually visiting the location. The castle is actually owned by the descendants of Queen Marie, who the castle was gifted to as a token of appreciation in her attempts to unify Romania. Currently, the castle is functioning as a museum dedicated to that queen. Peonari Castle, located in Arefu, Argus County, Romania, is the actual home of Vlad the Impaler. The castle is located on the plateau of Mount Setatia and can be accessed by climbing 1,480 concrete stairs. While the castle is in ruin, many who have visited the location have reported hearing and seeing unexplainable things. During the communist era in Romania, foreign visitors sometimes spent the night inside the ruined structure, and among them was Fatime Pavlavi's husband, Vincent Lee Hylier, who claimed that at night the temperature was much lower than usual in the castle, even in the hot months of July. He could smell rotten flowers, although there were none, and suffered from bizarre nightmares, and got the overpowering feeling that he was being watched. He even got bitten by something invisible, without being physically assaulted. It makes sense that the castle of someone as notorious as Vlad the Impaler would still be teeming with negative and sometimes violent energy. So think to yourself, are you disappointed that Bram Stoker's Dracula and the real-life Vlad the Impaler don't have that much in common? I can't say that I am. Vlad the Impaler is a terrifying figure all on his own. There is no need for long capes and fangs and bats. The thought is entertaining and all, but vampires aren't real. At least, not in the sense that Stoker brought him up as. Vlad Dracula the Impaler, the son of the dragon, the murderous king, was a real man with a real bloodlust that I personally think he took advantage of war to be able to express. If there wasn't a war happening, I would imagine that a man like him would have eventually turned to killing anyway. 
at least as a ruler, he had an excuse to kill. Thank you for taking this haunted journey with me today. We have two more weeks until Halloween and two more deep dives into the horror lore that makes Halloween so much fun. Tune in next Friday as we talk about curses and the ones that seem to follow Hollywood's most famous horror movies. If you want to hear more myths, legends, and scary stories, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Until next time.